Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. I am so happy to be able to meet the woman who is the Complete Cat Vet Clinic in Brookfield, Connecticut, which is near Danbury. She's the only feline-only veterinarian in Connecticut, and this is a really precious commodity to those of you listening on the air who are in southern Connecticut. You're kind of lucky because a vet who only wants to see cats means the cats don't have to deal with all those other horrible creatures called dogs. Dr. Eisen, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, and thank you for caring so much about cats that you keep dogs out of your clinic. I'm happy to be here and happy to be talking to you. But it, I do want to correct one thing that you did say. I'm I'm not the only cat hospital in the state, but I will say that I'm was the very first uh, good cat hospital in the state, and the other ones are all, but shall we say, copycats. Copycats, I love it. You know what? That is the <laughs> highest form of flattery or whatever you, whatever that silly phrase is because if the cat-owning population could go to the vet without the nightmare of anxiety for the cat and therefore the person, I think people would go to the vet more. And a cat-only practice really literally doesn't have the sound, sight, and smell of dogs, which to your average cat is not a pleasant thing to be up close and, and near, right? I mean, it's just very, it makes the whole thing doubly, triply, ten time, tenfold more stressful for them. Yes, what you're saying is very, very true, that a lot of uh, cat owners do not bring their cats to the vet because it's so stressful. They're not the, a type of animal that likes to leave the home, that wants to go to a strange place and get poked and prodded. And so uh, they they keep them home. Yeah, and they miss a lot of things. Like I would guess that, I'm guessing that oral care is a really big one. I mean, cats can have all kinds of dental problems or even tumors in their gums or their throat. And people would never know. I once had a cat in Italy where there's, you know, there's not too many small animal vets at all in the middle of the countryside. And when I noticed her having trouble eating and took her to the vet, great trouble getting her in a carrier and so forth, all the things that people worry about because she was an indoor-outdoor cat. 
There was a tumor in the back of her mouth. I mean, how would I know that? A vet needs to be looking at your cat every year, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things that uh, your cat veterinarian will do is look in that mouth because cats are prone to a lot of dental disease, um, chronic stomatitis, um, tumors, and it affects their whole overall health and can shorten their lifespan and, and disrupt the quality of their life. Completely. So, and the other thing is that I've found when people write me, when I used to have Cat Chat Live on the Sirius channel for a long time, people would call in with questions about their cat issues, many of them kind of revolving around maybe bladder crystals, something to do with urinary tract problems, kind of not really, they weren't that clear what the problem was. And they might even have gone to a vet who really was more dog-focused. I mean, it's a little surprising to me that you could be a small animal vet and have gotten the training and theoretically like both species. But there are some vets, certainly a lot of people, who think of cats as little dogs, and they couldn't be more different. Can you talk a little bit about the ways in which treating and diagnosing and even wellness for a cat is pretty significantly different than for a dog? Um, I mean, overall, in general, it's similar. We do our physical. We like to do blood work if necessary. The diagnostics are the same. A lot of the diseases are the same. But cats do have very specific diseases all their own. And um, the cat hospital being a less stressed environment and uh, is a good place for a cat to be examined. Um, also, if you just do cats as a veterinarian, you really can... You become a specialist yes. and you see things that, a, you know, a dog and cat or overall a small animal hospital will miss. So um, you get really, really good at it. <laughs> you get <laughs> yes. To, you know, you get to read the cat, their the behavior, the way they're sitting in the exam room. You pay very close attention to the small details that get, can get overlooked in a general small animal practice. I kind of like to think of a feline veteran, feline only vet as kind of a Sherlock Holmes because both dogs and cats are good at masking pain, but cats are much better at it. They're really good at keeping to themselves anything bothering them. So it takes that kind of Sherlock Holmes noticing the teeny tiny details that tell you, aha, so that's what that cat is guarding. That's what that cat is reluctant to do, whether it be to move or to stretch out or something that would indicate that. I also didn't ask you this before we talked on the air. We met through a mutual friend uh, virtually, not because of COVID, just because the world is virtual. And I I didn't ever tell you this, but everyone listening knows how strongly I feel that all dry food for any cat, period, full stop, is kitty crack and inappropriate for an obligate carnivore? I'm wondering if you promote the feeding of wet food to cats versus dry food, which is a highly processed carb. Is that something that you try to educate people about? Is it something that's part of your mantra? Well, the food uh, the question is a hot question and a much debated question. And I get asked what to feed their cat Every day, every day, from kittenhood to old age. Right. And through the years, um, I've I've tried to keep up with the latest. I try to understand what's 
just being promoted so that you'll buy their product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So my opinions on feeding have really evolved over the years. Um, So it's a very long discussion and one that I think we don't have time for uh, right now. Um, But the short answer is that feeding dry food, depending on the food that you feed, I feel is perfectly fine. And um, I definitely promote the canned food as well. So for different reasons. Um, Yeah. Well, I respect that. And I have two or three friends, personal friends who have never even been on the show, but are small animal vets. And one of them in particular disagrees with me firmly because, well, these other foods have been studied, and I learned about them at the University of Pennsylvania where I went to vet school, and they've got studies and showing. And and I respect the fact that what the decision of a vet can have is not only based on things they have read within their own journals, which do 100% support the pet food industry, which is like a 96 or something percent dry food for cats, because that's what people buy. So I was thinking you might say, well, I do think that an obligate carnivore should have very, very little carbohydrate in their diet. But the reality is that that's what people want to feed for convenience. And they too have seen the ads on television based on the same pet food companies embracing the idea that what people will buy is what we will make and sell. I mean, there's definitely a supply and demand issue. So I respect that opinion because it's based on your reality, let's say, the reality of seeing cats day in and day out and um, not seeing any of them harmed by dry food. On the outside looking in, I do see them harmed Mm -hmm. by dry food because it makes them fat because their body doesn't really know how to digest carbohydrates properly. And some of those crystals and urinary problems are related to dry food. But again, they also then sell food that vets sell that they claim is for urinary tract problems, but it's more of the dry food. The reason it's worth it to have the conversation on the air is because I really respect the fact that you've dedicated yourself to being a feline-only vet. And you also breed Mm -hmm. British shorthairs, which I would love to talk about. I want people to understand that if they try and go have a conversation with their vet after reading my book, The Cat Bible, or listening to what a lot of the vets I've had on the show say, or some of the internists about wet food is highly preferable, that your own vet, like Dr. Sharon Eisen, might say they're both good. So it's really okay to agree to disagree or just say Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. works for you, in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, you, the person who wants to free feed a highly processed carb, because it's what your vet was taught and what the marketplace tells you. So I think it's, I just think it's important to ha- to be able to, to people to hear us have a mutually respectful and interested conversation, even if it's brief, to understand that mm-hmm. everyone's entitled to make their own decision at the end of the conversation, as long mm-hmm. as they have the, the input, the factual input going in. So I just think that that's really important. British shorthairs, can you tell me the where, why, and how of this adorable cat breed, and how did you wind up being a cat breeder while having your very own clinic? How did you have time to do both, or did you breed cats and think, oh, now I'll be a veterinarian? Obviously, you didn't think that, but how did you have time to do both? 
Well, it was actually easier as a veterinarian to do both because, um, you know, I'm already in the cat business, the cat industry. I love cats. I used to go to cat shows and I started out really just going to cat shows to admire the cats. And I saw this breed of cat called the Scottish Fold. Yes. And I thought, oh, isn't this a cute little cat? It looks like a little owl. Yeah. And I ended up uh, getting one and I wanted to make kittens. So, and I have the knowledge and the know-how. Right. Um, so I started breeding Scottish Folds. Now the Scottish Fold, uh, the gene that makes the folded ear is associated with other uh, genetic issues. So oh. I got really unhappy with breeding them. And I thought, you know what, maybe I can breed a British short hair, which you were permitted to do, um, into the program to make a healthier Scottish fold. So I, I got some British short hairs to breed into the program. And I thought, you know, I don't think I need to breed the Scottish folds. <laughs> I'm so in love with the British short hair that I'm just going to focus on them. And it's been very rewarding um, to me to make these little teddy bears, as they're called. Is that how um, they're referred to in the cat fancy? The little teddy bears Aww. of the cat world, yes. Aww. And um, they're a little chunky, they're rounded, they're healthy, and um, people can't get enough of them. So you you got your hands full trying to make enough kittens to satisfy the people who want those darling little yeah, teddy bears. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a, I don't, you know, I don't like to have a lot of cats. It just gets, that gets too overwhelming. Right. So I have a small breeding program and don't make that many kittens uh, per year. Um, so, um, yes, I have a waiting list for my kittens. That's just, that's so cool. Such a long time. That's so that cool. people who have gotten one from me, I have been doing this so long that, uh, some of the cats that I bred have passed away at 18, 19, 20, and they're coming back to me and asking me if I'm still breeding. Wow. That's, <laughs> that is really neat. One. And by the way, folks, that's, that's like the, the, the longevity age of a healthy cat. I would say who's fed correctly, but that could be part of another conversation. <laughs> I believe it strongly. But then again, the British shorthairs can apparently do well on dry food, or maybe not. Maybe you feed wet food and you just tell people they could feed either one. But Dr. <laughs> Elizabeth Hodgkins, who was my co-host on, on Cat Chat for a very long time, She's now retired. She was a feline-only vet as well, and then she went into the sort of pharmaceutical end of the veterinary industry. She bred Asa cats, also went to cat shows, Mm -hmm. also adored them, also had the waiting list, and had her cattery and had to deal with all those issues of, you know, who's in heat and who's pregnant and how's it going and health, health, health was always the number one thing. I think it's really cool when feline-only vets fall in love with a breed and even though, of course, you know, in terms of political correctness, there are millions of cats wandering around that would love a home, that doesn't mean that there isn't a great place for purebred cats in the world, whether it's any of the mostly darling or in the case of, you know, ragdolls, another adorable, right? I mean, so many cute breeds of cats, but then there's the giant ones like the Norwegians and the Maine Coon cats. It's really, I think it's fun for people if they can find a cat show to go to. I think that there's a very good way for purebred cats and 
domestic short hairs or whoever's wandering around at a rescue or a shelter to coexist. I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think it's wonderful that these breeds, that you've kept them alive and kept them well, over yes, which the whole I mean, cat I fancy does. I mean, it's pl- it's their the wellness. People that are getting the British short hairs are not taking away from uh, cats that That's right. need to get adopted. Exactly. So, Important for people to understand yeah. that, which I also say about purebred dogs, but it's even more true about cats because living with a cat, a personality is a really big deal. And any kitten you get or adult cat that you adopt has whatever that personality is going to be. And the genetic component is a huge part of it. But if you get a purebred cat, that genetic component can be strong for behavior and personality. And a lot of these, it is strong. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of Mm -hmm. people gravitate towards the most adorable of cat breeds, which I guess really the Scottish Fold and British Short Hair and Ragdolls. There's others, of course, but man, they're just, you just want to like squeeze their little cheeks. They're so yes. cute. <laughs> and and their health yes. is really a big deal too. Because then really, if you get a well-bred cat and take good care of it and take it to your feline-only vet, if you're lucky enough to have one once a year, or a vet who keeps a cat-only room with nice, you know, feel away and pheromones going, I mean, that's helpful as well. They can have a wonderfully long and happy life. Well, those of you who live anywhere near Brookfield, Connecticut, can can maybe get some time at the Complete Cat Vet Clinic and Dr. Sharon Eisen, but it's certainly something to consider if you have access to a feline-only veterinarian. I promise you, your cat will thank you for it. Dr. Eisen, thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom and your passion for the little teddy bears. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food, Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.